This is Tort Talk with Terrence A. Gross, a board-certified personal injury lawyer. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode here with Terrence Gross. He's the person who's going to be speaking that's knowledgeable about law stuff. I'm Paul Stedden, the host, the questions asker, the guy number two. And of course, I am going to be learning alongside you because we have Terrence Gross of Gross and Schuster. He knows about the law. He knows about, well, particularly today, talking about something that is, I don't want to say near and dear to my heart, Terrence, but something that is one of my pet peeves, which is seatbelts. Not, I'm on the side of wearing them, by the way, in case that needs to be said out loud. Uh, but I'm also kind of confused about the law a little bit. So with a Florida seatbelt law, this is the one that's been burning the most, I think. How does this burden of proof work with proving whether you were or weren't wearing your seatbelt? I know we're going to get into more burden of proof stuff later, but like if I get pulled over for not wearing my seatbelt and I click pop it on, how does that cop know? Well, then that that's just subjective. He'll he'll be able to testify or whatever. It's, it's kind of like if he caught you speeding, but his radar gun wasn't working, he mm. can still give his subjective uh, opinion as to your speed. But but there's really two seatbelt laws in Florida, but people don't okay. really think about it. The one they think about is the one you just referred to. Is that we know in Florida now? When I say now, yeah. since the 1980s, that you can get a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. You right. are required to wear one. And if you don't, you get a ticket. And it's a primary offense, right? It's like a, they can pull right. you over just for that. Yes, they can pull you over and they find drugs in your car or whatever. Yeah, right, right, stuff. right. But so, but that's not the law I'm here to talk about today. So the law I'm talking more about the civil damages law because mm. I am a personal injury lawyer. And what if I get someone that's been rear-ended? You've been rear-ended, so it seems like an open and shut case, but you weren't wearing your seatbelt. Right. And, and let me give you the best example. This is okay. this will bring it home for you. All right, all right, okay. But before we get there, you, I want to make sure that people understand that Florida is what we call a comparative negligent state. That means a jury can compare negligence. So if they think the plaintiff is 50% at fault and the defendant's 50% at fault, then the plaintiff only gets 50% of their damages. Ah. So now that you know that law, let me tell you a true case. And it wasn't mine. I actually watched this case in the 1990s in Milton, Florida. And what happened was a lady uh, pulled over in the emergency lane on the interstate for whatever reasons. I'm not sure why, but she did. And I don't know if she was pulling over or she was completely over. But anyway, an 18-wheeler hit her at a high speed. Oh, oh. And she was catapulted through the windshield. And her main injuries were severe facial scarring. Yeah. Plastic surgeries. I mean, just it was not good. And, And so they go to court. And the jury heard the whole case. And the jury awarded her $1.1 million. A very just award. A very fair award. But on the verdict form, the jury put on the verdict form that 90% of her injuries were caused by not wearing a seatbelt. Because if you're wearing a seatbelt, you shouldn't be going through a windshield, right? Right. I mean, so what the jury probably did not know, they didn't know that after they left the courtroom, what the judge was required to do. And the judge was required under Florida law to take away 90% of 1.1 million, which probably left her with a hundred thousand and change. Right which was probably just her medical bills. Right, right. So anyway, uh, that's that's how uh, draconian this law could be. 
Um, but it, I've always used the seatbelt law to my advantage. And you've told me that you, you're a parent of a young child. Yep. Let me tell you a story. Does this have a good ending? Uh, yes. Uh, so does this have a good ending? Well, you tell me. You're the father. Oh, good. Okay. You're the All father. Right. I like this. All righty. So a uh, man comes in to retain me. He's in his 30s. And he had been in a car wreck. He wasn't injured. But his young daughter, who was like three or four years old, was. And so he's wanting, wanting to retain me as the lawyer. So he starts telling me about the case. He says, I'm driving down the road. And this guy cuts right out in front of me. Mm. And I T-bone him. Uh-huh. And my daughter, who was in the back seat of the car, is flung into my dash. Oh. And she broke her uh, uh, orbital socket in her eye. Oh, gosh. And has to have surgery. So I said, well, sounds like a clear liability against this guy that, that caused the wreck. But uh, there may be another defendant out there. And he goes, what do you mean another defendant? And I said, well, shouldn't your child have been in a, a special carrier seat? And he goes, yeah, I was in a hurry. I just I put her uh-huh. in a seatbelt just oh in, in the back. And I guess she slid out and whatever. So I said, okay, well, we'll, we'll circle the wagons. We're going to get back and we'll, I'm going to look at coverage. I'm going to get back with you on this one. Because obviously with sur- facial surgery, it's going to be pretty expensive with these medical bills. So we find out that the guy that cut him off only had a 10,000 limit. So all oh. you can get is 10,000. That's, that's what you get. My guy did not have uninsured motorist. He hadn't been listening to my podcast. Uh-huh. So he had no uh, uh, uninsured motorist, but he did have 25000 of liability if he messed up. I said, well, I think I can get you another 25000 but mm. you may not like this. Mm-hmm. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I think you were negligent and not securing your child. In fact, you were technically violating the law. Mm-hmm. I think I get 25000 from your own company for the benefit of your daughter. And he didn't like it at first, but he finally capitulated. Right. And cause we had all these bills and stuff. So I ended up getting 35,000, but part of it was from the guy that right. so it's a little sticky, but again, he, he was negligent because he, as a parent, he was supposed to do that. So, uh, let me tell you a more innovative case uh, that I had, uh, if we have time, just to show you how the seatbelt law could work. Yeah, yeah, we do. You've heard of Pace High School up in the north part of uh, Santa Rosa sure, County? Sure, sure. So <clears throat> there was these two seniors in high school, two girlfriends, and you know, school's out, they're granting the lead, they get in the car, and of course, there's always the kid with the hot rod. You know, there's yep, always yep. one of these guys at high school, right? So he's got a souped-up hot rod. So he's in the parking lot going about 40 or 50 miles an hour. Okay. Loses control and yep. hits these girls. And oh. It's, so it's actually a real wreck in a parking lot. It was a real wreck, okay? So the passenger who I'm representing, her shoulder was jammed forward uh, into the door, and she ended up in shoulder surgery, and she was not wearing a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the kid that caused the wreck had a 10000 limit so yep. she's got shoulder surgery the guy that caused all this only has a 10 limit uh i looked at the this girl's uh policy that um in her household and they did not have uninsured motorists so i think the average lawyer would have said oh well i'm sorry it's only 10 you can't go any further but i started doing a little bit more research and this got to be very novel the driver of the car who was this girl's best friend okay they were high school seniors Okay. She's 18 years old. And in Florida, guess what? She's deemed an adult. She's an adult. My girl was 17 and a half. 
She's a minor. Uh-huh. And the Florida seatbelt, the Florida seatbelt law says this. It says that every adult must ensure that every minor is wearing her seatbelt in a car. Uh-huh. So I argued that the 18-year-old was negligent, not for driving. She did nothing wrong driving, but she was in charge of the car. She's an adult. The other one's not. It was a novel argument. And they they had a hundred thousand limit, which we ended up getting a hundred thousand for uh, the girl for her shoulder surgery. Now a lot of people may not like that, but again, I used the law to my advantage right. um, uh, to get my girl compensation, who was going to get the short end of the stick uh, with shoulder surgery, and, and and we were able to get insurance to pay for it. Mm. Um, so anyway, I always try to look at things like that and and try to know the law. Every nuance of it, but that that seatbelt law is uh, could be dangerous, as you just heard in these some yeah. of these cases. Uh, that poor lady that went through the windshield, yeah, only got ten percent of her damages. Well, circling back to the guy with the kid in the back, see, there's a, yes. something that popped in the back of my head, which is what happens to your insurance premiums when you admit? I, I mean, look, I, if I were in his place, well, first off, my daughter would have been buckled in, but it's easy easy to judge like that you know, when you're not the person that was in the situation. So I don't want, I don't want to come down too hard on the guy, but I totally get the, I'm going to admit fault. If it gets me more money to take care of my daughter, what happens then to his insurance payments? What happens to his driving record? What happens to him long-term having to deal with the ramifications of that with his insurance company? Well, uh, I don't think he was ticketed. The officer probably could have, but just didn't. But, right. But yes, you, if you get dinged, if there's a liability claim, they could raise your rates for sure. Sometimes they cancel you. It all depends mm-hmm. your driving record. If, if he was one and done, if he had, had had a clean record for five years and had this one event, probably no big deal. Okay, okay. But if it's multiple actions, then of course, uh, the insurance companies are going to raise rates if they think that you are uh, not the safest driver. Or if you make too many claims. And, and if you make mm-hmm. a lot of claims, then, of course, they can cancel you. But then the next insurer will pick you right up. Ah, okay. Yes. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. So they do actually take into account uh, your history, your behavior, the kind of person you almost like a character witness kind of thing, where like they actually take into account what kind of person you are. Because if you're kind of a scumbag, then I guess you would get your insurance. You can pretty much guarantee your insurance rates are going to go up. But if, hey, no, he's been driving great up until this point. This was a one-time mistake. They take that into account? Sure they do. And um, it happens all the time. And uh, I, I've been with State Farm ever since I was in my 20s. And I got a call from my agent, who's a very good friend of mine. I had four teenage drivers. I didn't do good family planning. Four kids in, in seven years. So I had four teenage drivers. And they were getting speeding tickets and dinging people. Where they're doing? <laughs> right, right, right. And she finally called me up. She says, "One more infraction, and we have to cancel. We got to drop you. I don't want to drop you, Terry." I mm. called him in, and we had a come to Jesus meeting. I said, <laughs> "We are not having any more transgressions. The party's over, folks." Right. And, and uh, I am not being canceled. Oh man, I can imagine that was a very fun meeting yes. for them. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I I get that entirely. All right. Well, you know, I think I, I'm more informed about the uh, the seatbelt laws than I was before. So I do want to ask you one final one because we're, we're getting short on time. We're getting close to the end as we always do when we get into the thick of it. Uh, so how does the burden of proof work if you go to court? Well, it's really interesting because as a plaintiff, if plaintiffs always had the burden of proof, I sue somebody, I sue a defendant, I have the burden of proof. 
But this is known as an affirmative defense, which means they're raising the seatbelt defense. They're trying to get the verdict to be to be reduced. Mm. They actually had the burden of proof to to prove that the person was not wearing a seatbelt, that it was operational, and that uh, but for uh, them not wearing a seatbelt, the injuries wouldn't be so great. So we gave an example early on with the lady going to the windshield. That's kind of like one plus one equals two right? because you don't go through a windshield with a seatbelt. But what if you have a whiplash? What if you have a severe mm. whiplash and neck surgery? Well, that's going to happen with or without a seatbelt because if you think about what a seatbelt does – there's books and statistics saying that you can have a worse neck whiplash because your torso stays in place pretty much and your neck gets flung around like on a fulcrum. And so if you just have a whiplash, the seatbelt defense pretty much is nothing because they, they can't uh, meet the burden. They can't mm. prove that you wouldn't have the injuries. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. And and I don't know if the airbag factors into these decisions at all because, uh, you know, I know that there are these people that drive without seatbelts and they say, ah, the airbag will take care of me. And so is that something that then would come up in that court case? Like if they're like, Oh, he was thinking that he was going to rely on his airbag to save him or anything like that. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. And I, I, I wish we had time for one more story, but maybe, maybe another day. You know what? Yeah. If you can do it in under two minutes, I can do it. Okay. Go for it. Well, the, there is another prong of the seatbelt, uh, uh, provability doctrine and that is was it unreasonable for the person to be wearing a seatbelt or not to be wearing so uh i watched a case years ago and here's the story and again i had all these kids and you're maybe once your kids are four or five years old you'll relate to this but every time i came into mcdonald's it was mayhem i want this oh, i want yeah. the happy meal i want this and the, yep. i had four kids again so so this guy pulls in he's wearing a seatbelt he takes his seatbelt off to you know to pay the McDonald's person, and then the guy behind him starts beeping, you know, because he wanted to get through, and he's, this man's trying to hand out the milkshakes and stuff. So he pulls out without putting his seatbelt back on, goes two blocks, and then gets blasted at a red light, and his Ooh. knee hit the dash, has knee surgery. But the jury heard that whole thing and said it wasn't unreasonable. They felt so sorry for this poor Aww. guy, so they did not reduce his verdict even though his knee hit the dash and maybe it would not have had he been wearing a seatbelt, they gave him a free pass. In other words, ah. you know, because it, the lawyer did such a great job of, of showing that. Well, that's the value of having a great lawyer. So if somebody needs to get a hold of you, Terrence Gross, how do they do so? Uh, on the web, grossenschuster.com, S-C-H-U-S-T-E-R, grossenschuster.com. We have a 64-page website, and we talk about all these things, uninsured motorists, no-fault seatbelts, all that's on the website, and you can always call us at 850-434-3333. Well, I'm glad you could encapsulate it all for us right now. I am Paul Stad, and that is Terrence Gross. Happy to be talking with him about all things legal. Next week, we're going to be talking about rear-end collisions. Don't miss that one. Thank you so much, Terrence. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.